0: I'm Bruce Gellerman from WBUR, guest hosting this episode of the MIT Energy Initiative podcast. Today, we'll be pursuing the renewable and clean energy holy grail, storage. The ability to store solar, wind, and hydro energy and release it when the sun isn't shining, the air is calm, and water is still, promises to transform our electric power future. In this episode, we'll explore the current state of storage technology, where it's going, and how we'll get there with two guests from MIT. Donald Sadaway and Yang Horn, professors in the Department of Material Science and Engineering. Yang is also co-director of the MIT Energy Initiative Energy Storage Low Carbon Energy Center. Yang, that's quite a title. (laughs) She's also the Keck Professor of Energy at MIT, and Don Yang, welcome. Thanks for showing up. I really appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. Thank you ha- for having me. So I don't know what your house is like. My house, I walk into my bedroom, it's a tangle of you know, plugs and recharging my, my devices. I've got a zillion devices. My, my, my kitchen is filled with them, right? You go to a parking garage, there's electric plugs now you can plug in. It's hard to avoid. Where are we, where are we going with battery technology? Am I ever going to get rid of all those <laughs> plugs and devices, or is it going to be more? Well, I think that you're always going to have to be
1: able to plug into the wall. That's not going away. But with the appropriate storage, you'll be able to disconnect and be mobile. And that, that's, that's the way things are going. The other thing I would say to, in response to your question is that I think you're going to see more intensive uh, electrification moving away from the use of fossil fuels wherever possible. So there're going to be more power outlets and more cords.
2: Right. Just to add on that, I think as you know that with uh, dropping in solar and the wind electricity cost, we're looking at two or three cents per kilowatt hour, Mm -hmm. right? So we're going to see more and more of usage of electricity from solar wind in our daily life, Mm -hmm. especially not only from uh, electric vehicles in our transportation, but also uh, into our homes, right? Mm -hmm. So we're not only plugging our devices, uh, appliances into the wall, we potentially plugging appliances uh, into our storage devices uh, we can envision our cars as a storage devices right so we can actually tap into more of uh, the electricity from solar wind instead of electricity from fossil fuels
0: so the solar and the wind the cost for generating is come way down I mean by a fraction of 10% of what it was just ten times, over yeah. 10 a decade but how about the price of batteries has that come
2: down considerably in the last decade Absolutely, right. So if you look at the cost of lithium-ion batteries uh, for transportation, it has come down ten times in the past decade as well, right? So this is why it really has positioned lithium-ion batteries uh, at the really a center for powering various vehicles, uh, hybridized with a different degree of uh, electric power.
0: Hmm. So how does that compare to the energy generation as opposed to the storage? What's the price per what kilowatt hour?
2: So it's about uh, $100 per kilowatt hour. So many order magnitude more expensive than electricity from solar wind.
0: The storages?
2: The storages.
0: Ah, so still not any place near the same cost, right? I mean, the storage is expensive then. The $100 per kilowatt hour, that's the capital cost of the battery,
1: right? But now you have to imagine how long is that battery going to be in use? And um, if the battery poops out after four or five years, that's not going to be practical. But if we give you a battery that will last for 25 years and it costs $100, $200 a kilowatt hour and it has, let's say, a round-trip efficiency of uh, 80%, you put in 100 units of electricity, you get back 80 units of electricity. When you do the calculation on that, cycling it every day, it will be economically feasible. I mean, we don't want a battery that can store electricity from the sun that then you can draw upon after sunset, with the result that in the day, as Young said, it's uh, going to be coming in at say three cents a kilowatt hour. But after dark, it's twenty five cents a <laughs> kilowatt hour. <laughs> that's That's not going to make people very happy. so so that's that's what the research effort here at MIT is directed at. It's to give us batteries for stationary
0: storage it's a it's a totally different set of requirements <laughs>
2: right.
0: meaning not for cars not for mobile phones not for those mobile devices
2: right so essentially if you uh, look at the cost requirement right for portable electronic devices the the batteries can bear the highest cost right so as you go to electric vehicles we're looking at you know a hundred two hundred dollars per kilowatt hour and it's still expensive right that's why our electric vehicles at uh, right now maybe fifty thousand dollars instead of like say twenty or thirty thousand dollars so there's tremendous needs to bring down essentially further bring down the cost of batteries to make our electric vehicles more uh, viable uh, for consumers Mm -hmm. now if you think about using batteries for stationary application in our homes the costs will even need to come down further right so then we are really looking at you know not only a cost but also sustainability issue of essentially what is inside a battery right in order to power essentially the planet So I think for stationary applications, really the cost and the sustainability or the earth abandonness of the materials are really very, very critical.
0: So right now, you're talking about grid storage, utility size storage. Is that what you're referring to when you say stationary, or are you talking about house, residential house? Well, all of the above. I mean, you you could imagine uh, an
1: individual homeowner who has, uh, say, solar panels on the roof, well, that homeowner is going to need to be able to power after dark. So it would make sense to have not a a community storage facility, but to have a storage facility within a single-family home. But then also there are other instances where you might put the storage, say, at the level of the substation and service, say, 200 homes in a subdivision. The notion of storing the entire
0: grid, I think that's, uh, that's a little bit far-fetched. Uh-huh. So when you talk this type of battery, we're talking lithium-ion right now. Everybody's familiar with that, right? In my, they're in my phone. They're in my, my headphones. They're in my laptop, which ran out, by the way, while I was writing a script for this <laughs> yesterday night, right in the middle. So lithium-ion, is that's the state. Is that the state of affairs right now? Is that the cream of the crop?
2: Absolutely. I think it's really the technology, is the elephant in the room, and uh, it's the technology at scale, right? So if you want to have, for example, various applications for stationary applications, right, so look at the business opportunities, either frequency shifting or you shift uh, the peak. For example, you store electricity during the day and use at night. And uh, if you want to source uh, storage uh, devices or systems, and there's many companies where you can actually obtain lithium-ion batteries.
0: Tesla comes to mind.
2: Yeah. Of course, if you look at lithium-ion batteries, we use uh, cobalt, right, in our cell phone and we're moving more and more away from cobalt and into nickel because we're currently using roughly 40 or 50 percent of cobalt we mine today in the lithium-ion batteries. So we have to be aware of the uh, sustainability and also the cost of cobalt and utilize elements less expensive, like nickel, and like, for example, manganese. And uh, even going beyond lithium-ion, try to look for new chemistry uh, that can essentially potentially offer much lower cost uh, of storage technologies, like some of the uh, activities Don has been working on. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's get nerdy about the materials, right? Because that's basically the focus of both your research. Lithium-ion battery, right, works it's a solid-state battery, right, or is it a liquid battery?
2: It's a liquid battery. So current commercial battery technology is you have uh, organic electrolyte, and so you have uh, electrodes are solids. So essentially,
0: negative and positive.
2: Negative and positive, and so you have lithium ion essentially moves through electrolyte from one electrode to the other. Electrons move through the external circuit. Right, and so the so the electrons are what power my device. That's right. And so now there are challenges with flammability of the organic electrolyte. And this is particularly challenging for the safety issues of large lithium-ion batteries. So you probably have seen there's quite a bit of uh, activities in developing solid-state lithium-ion batteries. And this is in the works and still in the development. So what's the role of cobalt
0: in the lithium-ion battery?
2: So essentially, we store each electron with each cobalt. So if you want to store a million electrons, we need a million cobalt atoms.
0: And that's good, or is that bad? Well,
2: oh, that's good in terms of uh, the, the efficiency. Uh, is very good for lithium-ion batteries. But if you say, I want to, then the amount of energy I use is very much dependent on uh, the availability of cobalt
0: availability, but you got to have it. It's expensive, right?
2: It's expensive. You need to have it, and that's essentially two issues. One is availability where we can mine cobalt uh, cheaply, and also uh, the recycling of lithium-ion batteries will become increasingly important as we use more and more uh, lithium-ion batteries uh, in vehicles and also uh, in large systems for stationary applications.
0: So the, the, the cobalt, as I understand it, comes basically from Central Africa, right? Correct. And lithium we don't have in the United States, right? Or we do? Well, there is some lithium here, but uh,
1: the cheap lithium is coming from either South America or China. But I'd like to return to the other piece about the cobalt. Uh, It's correct that uh, the majority of cobalt uh, is coming from uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. And um, the conditions under which it is mined wouldn't stand up to scrutiny by human rights people because uh, a lot of this stuff is at the surface and it's being harvested by child labor. The face that uh, people put on this is they put uh, the term artisanal mining. Artisanal mining is a cover for uh, child labor and uh, companies understand that they they're trying to engineer cobalt out of the lithium-ion battery. But when they make a battery that's cobalt-free, and Young, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is if you try to make a battery that's cobalt-free, and I'm not talking about iron phosphate here, but the performance drops off precipitously, so the amount of cobalt in in many of the formulations is down around 10%. They've got a target of 5%. They would dearly love to get rid of cobalt dependence completely. But that's another concern. uh, There's the sustainability piece and then there's the the human rights
0: piece. You you guys are professors from MIT, right? I mean, you know the periodic chart, right? What's so hard about finding a substitute for cobalt?
2: Right, so just to add on uh, Don's comment, right? So if you look at uh, the electric vehicle sector and uh, the chemistry uh, where most researchers are working on or the technology uh, are uh, focusing on is replacing cobalt with nickel, right? So their target uh, formulation is to have 10% cobalt and roughly um, 80% of nickel, maybe 10% uh, manganese, right? So the performance, the energy storage density is very good. There are some challenges with cycling, uh, but I think we're now uh, really have good solutions addressing the stability. So we will have uh, in the very near future, uh, largely Mm nickel-based lithium-ion batteries. So
0: you say the performance, the efficiency, meaning the, the, the density, how much power you can put into the battery, essentially.
2: So essentially is a, a cycle life, right? So if you want, uh, let's say, the batteries to last 10 years and you want at the end of 10 years, still have uh, 80% of the initial rated stored energy. So essentially, you know, over thousands of cycles, we, we want to make sure that the energy you can get out remains largely the same.
0: Okay, so problem solved. We use nickel. With a little bit of uh, cobalt, that that it? They but have- it's
2: still expensive, right? So if you really think about, let's say, electric vehicle sector, going beyond, right? So think about the amount of energy we use, right, in the U.S. or in China, right? So we would really would want to, really looking ahead for 2050 uh, or 2100, right, we would want to really power the planet with the richest elements we have, right? So that's basically the elements we have in the Earth's crust, right, in our water, in our air, right? So those elements are the richest, and also they turned out to be the cheapest.
0: Donald Sadaway, I, I saw a, a TED Talk where you said, if you want something to be cheap as dirt, make it out of dirt. That's correct. I thought it was a great line. How does it fix in with batteries? Well, um,
1: I've been practicing that in uh, my research, in looking for uh, different chemistries chemistry is completely different from lithium-ion because uh, it, it was my position going back 10 years ago that lithium-ion was absolutely the right choice for mobile devices, devices. And by that I, I don't mean cars, I mean mobile phones, mobile uh, p- portable computers and so on. W- when you start getting to grid-level storage, lithium-ion will perform, but when, when you have a single lithium-ion cell inside a phone, it's thermally managed just by uh, surface cooling. If you put hundreds and thousands of these uh, cells, and each one of them, sort of the workhorse cell, uh, it's about twice the size of a AA battery. And if you put, say, some thousands of them in close proximity, they're not going to just naturally cool except the ones on the outside. The ones on the inside have neighbors that are also hot, and so that requires additional plumbing, to uh, have some kind of forced uh, air or forced uh, water to keep them cool. Because if they rise in temperature, lithium-ion is very temperamental. You get up to about 70 degrees Celsius, and um, you're going to have bloating of the cells, and ultimately you could end up with fire. So I started looking at something completely different, and I began from the perspective of choose something that is abundant and cheap, and then turn around and make try to figure out how to make that work in a battery. And so that that was sort of the the direction that I took. So you started
0: off with the cost factor, the safety factor, and then worked backwards? That's correct. So what'd you come up with?
1: Well, there's a suite of uh, batteries that I call liquid metal batteries, and they have a plurality of choices for the negative electrode. Things like up in the northwest part of the periodic table, things like magnesium and lithium, sodium. And then for the bottom electrode, I chose things from the southeast part of the periodic table. So, t- in other words, pairing metals that are as far removed from each other as possible. That way, they'll they'll generate voltage. And uh, so that gives you things like antimony, lead, tin, bismuth. Cheap. Cheap. Uh, abundant. Abundant.
0: And they don't blow up. No, it doesn't blow up. <laughs> Would well, generate that much heat that you lose the efficiencies in cooling things off. Well you want to have the heat in this case.
1: I took a liability and turned it into an asset. If you're gonna run a battery at 500 degrees Celsius, you want it to generate heat and you trap that heat and that's how you make it uh, stable at that environment. And then the last thing, as Young mentioned, the the lithium-ion battery has an organic uh, liquid as the electrolyte and that organic liquid is sort of a cousin of gasoline and so it it'll burn. It'll burn well. And so um, I chose a uh, molten salt. Instead of salt dissolved in water as the electrolyte, it just take the salt and melt it. And so now you have something that's uh, bulletproof against thermal runaway, and that was the genesis of this. And and there are other, you know, I don't, I, I want to be fair and and acknowledge that there are people here at MIT that are working on uh, flow batteries, and these are gigantic tanks of uh, aleovalent metals to change valence, and um, there's a plurality of options. So so lithium ion, there's a temptation to take lithium ion, which we know a lot about and it's served us very well in in phones and in computers, and try to scale up. And uh, as Young mentioned, we, we don't have any evidence of, of lithium-ion batteries lasting 10 plus years. I mean, nobody has a 10 year old phone in his pocket. <laughs> you know if and 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 if he or she does most certainly they're not running with the original battery but the batteries that have to go onto the grid or go into homes 10 years is is a minimum so there's there's a lot of work yet to go
0: so where's the future i know you've got a company called ambry right mm. you help start it's here in massachusetts right and it's producing these batteries that a very high temperature, right? Yeah, And they would like bricks. Hmm. Do they work? They work, but the the answer
1: to your question is yes and no. Yes, they work, but no, they're not ready for release into customer hands because we have to not just manufacture them, but we have to test them to the point that we are confident that they will pass reliability expectations. The last thing I want to do is to put a really cool battery chemistry in a customer hands and then have some unforeseen um, uh, mishap occur. So, you know, there are some people that would say to me, because grid operators are very, very conservative, they would say to me, you you claim that this thing will last 10 years without incident, show me 10 years worth of data. Well, I better get started this afternoon.
0: Well, the utilities in Massachusetts are starting to require uh, storage, right? I mean, we just had the first uh, right. re- request for proposal for w- offshore wind, and they've got to store a considerable amount not this, like 1,200 megawatts. That's, that's a chunk of, of energy, right? Right. What would you use right now? Would you use Don's battery?
2: Well, it's not available for customers. So okay. I would, uh, uh, I think this is where, whether conceptually uh, lithium ion batteries are the ideal technology for storage or not, it is available. Right. So I think this is where really put uh, lithium-ion battery at the center of the stage because of the scale of the technology and because of availability of the technology. Not necessarily because it's the ideal technology, because of its cost, because its uh, availability of materials mm-hmm. to scale.
1: I, th- I think th- this is exactly what we're seeing in automotive. I think everybody, I mean, I remember seeing a video clip of Musk where he says, you know, the problem with batteries is that they suck. All right. <laughs> but he wants to get an electric car on the road today. So he's going to take what is available, lithium ion. But that car is agnostic when it comes to chemistry. The, all of the power electronics, the, all of the mechanics, everything is there. And if better chemistry comes along tomorrow, they'll jump to that. But they're not going to wait until the better chemistry is discovered to delay the rollout of all-electric vehicles. And I think that's the same thing here with uh, stationary storage. If the battery that's available right now, you know, it's not going to be economically uh, viable. They're going to have to put all kinds of safety uh, measures in there, but they're going to get to use offshore wind with storage together and learn how this thing works because I predict that in addition to the known the known benefits, they're going to discover unanticipated benefits, which is going to make it even more compelling a case. And then when the better chemistry comes along, we'll push out the lithium-ion batteries, which will already have lost some of their storage capacity. And, you know, we'll, we'll have gotten that much farther instead of just sitting around waiting for the perfect battery. Well,
0: Young, know, you're trying to perfect the Perfect or more perfect battery, right?
2: Well, I think part of uh, being a faculty member is we look ahead, right? So not only we work with uh, lithium-ion batteries, we look ahead and develop a concept uh, for new storage mechanisms, right? So what are the chemistry that we should use for 2050, right? So that can really potentially think about powering the planet, right? So with uh, population growth to…
0: We've got to support them with energy they want to plug in their their devices right know? so
2: with the 10 billion people in mind right so what are the the elements are available to to store our energy right because uh, to capture uh, the electrons from solar wind and use them on demand so we can think about you know, lithium-ion batteries, the reason cobalt is useful in lithium-ion batteries can actually uh, have the mechanism or the function of storing electrons because cobalt is embedded in oxygen matrix or oxygen lattice, right? So our concept is really take cobalt away and do essentially using oxygen to store electrons to develop either hydrogen, oxygen, fuel cells, or electrolytic cells, or metal, air uh, batteries.
0: So if I understand you right, so you've got a a material and you're going to take in the lattice, in this molecular structure, you're gonna lace that with oxygen
2: Right. So in the uh, lithium-ion batteries, what stores electron is lithium cobalt oxide. Right. So what we are uh, advocating is to develop hydrogen oxygen or lithium oxygen or aluminum oxygen, essentially remove transition metal elements in the chemistry to store electrons.
0: When I hear you say hydrogen oxygen, I hear fuel cell. Yeah. Right? Yes. Chemical fuel cell.
2: Yes. Yes. Just that—that's our terminology. But uh, from a fundamental or physics point of view, is really the oxidizing power of oxygen. How to convert oxygen to water—that essentially uh, gave us energy.
0: And it's been used in space. I mean, that's how they powered, right, Apollo, and it, it works. It's just very expensive, right?
2: Uh, and yes. the power
0: density is not tremendous.
2: It was used first in Gemini. Uh huh. Recently, Toyota has launched uh, fuel cell vehicles. Right, so it's uh, priced uh, at seventy thousand dollars. I know. It's,
0: what's it called? The Marae or something like that, or right. Morai. Morai. That's it. Right. It's expensive. I went pricing, you know, clean energy cars the other day. Holy cow! I'm they're out of my my field. They're way out there.
2: So that's absolutely so but this system can be scaled right because you can actually decouple energy and power right because you can always make the tank much larger and then make the stack uh scaled differently from the size of the fuel
0: stack meaning the stack of batteries
2: the stack or stack of fuel cells that generate power right essentially for lithium-ion batteries Mm -hmm. power and energy they scale Mm-hmm. uh where for open systems like fuel cell like flow batteries you can scale energy and power uh, differently and so therefore that's one of the reason potentially flow batteries you can actually have ideally can be developed uh, for stationary applications mm-hmm. because you can have
0: a lot of them they're very big a very you, large you have have tank, tanks right? very
2: large tank where you store the energy where you can have essentially they run through a uh, reasonable sized flow Battery mm-hmm.
0: stack. Yeah, there's lots of different chemistries you can use for flow batteries, right? I know that down the street, there's a, a university of some renown. They, uh, they were testing uh, rhubarb. It seemed to work. All you need is uh, an aqueous solution and
1: something that'll shift valence. That, that In the end, it comes down to dollars per kilowatt hour.
2: And the the advantage of utilizing hydrogen or lithium oxygen or aluminum oxygen is they can store much greater energy uh, per unit weight relative to lithium ion batteries. So typically we're looking at a system level, for example, uh, three times greater energy density on a gravimetric scale versus some of the chemistry currently we know for flow batteries, they actually store less energy per unit weight Mm -hmm. than lithium up. Mm -hmm. But
0: because they're so big, you can have them stationary, you don't have to make them mobile. That's not a tremendous factor in it, right? Or it's not the defining factor. Or is it?
2: Well, I think in the end, it's really uh, what is the, the cost of uh, uh, the system, right? So if you have very large system, maybe boil down to in the end is the cost of the chemicals. Uh, but if for a reasonable small or intermediate size, all the uh, supporting system, if you will, to make the uh, flow batteries or the fuel cells work, uh, also a, a big contribution to the overall cost.
0: So where is the breakthrough? in battery technologies. Where where's the science? Where do we need to go? What are you, what are you doing in your laboratory? I mean, we're on the MIT campus.
2: we're working on making lithium oxygen and metal air uh, or lithium air batteries a viable option going forward and the many challenges and these actually the technology as I mentioned, they can store much more energy, right? The downside is they're not as efficient as lithium-ion batteries in terms of energy efficiency. Uh, but if, imagine if we can make the process energy efficient or the process reversible, then uh, imagine that uh, these type of uh, technologies or chemistry, it can be used for to power uh, electric planes, and that's where I think is also a very uh, exciting area that we see many important steps or activities mm. in this area.
0: A battery-powered airplane, yes. right? I know that there actually was one that was tried by the Air Force. Maybe it was DARPA. They had uh, they used flow batteries, but they were very unstable, and they you know they are very big, and it's the, the because they're heavy, right? They're so very the- heavy, yeah. So you so, yeah. you see a day we'll have electric airplanes.
2: Uh, yes, right. So I think there are, in the past few years, there are many more startup companies um, and developing various uh, electric. Uh, taxi or electric type of uh, uh, vehicles that can potentially power a flying object that can uh, let's say deliver or transport people few people um, like electric taxi, let's say from airport to downtown and uh, these are require require very different uh, if you will, storage chemistry mm-hmm. right because light weight and storing more energy is absolutely uh, critical. Mm-hmm.
0: I know there was a company here that started here. It's now in California called Wright Aircraft, something like that. And, and they were experimenting with batteries. But they had a very interesting – it's interesting because they started with a business model and worked backwards like you did, Don. That is, they started with the idea that we want to have an electric – plane, but it can't be one of these jumbo jets. It has to be a small jet, a commuter jet that goes 200 miles, 150 miles, carries 60 people or 30 people, and they work the math backwards. And then they said, well, what's the chemistry? What's the engineering that we need to do for this? They're not there yet, but it's kind of a very tantalizing idea. You think we'll have flying electric planes? I don't know anything about uh, aerospace, so I'm going <laughs> to dodge that question. <laughs>
2: But so this is also I heard this week that uh, uh, government in Norway is mandating a certain fraction of the airplanes uh, in Europe uh, by certain year in the near distant future would be electric.
0: So we're getting there slowly but surely, it seems right. We have these mandates for offshore wind, solar. There's the need to shift the demand, store it during the day when people aren't needing it, storing it in batteries and shifting the supply to when they need it, early evening, late evening, right? That's the whole idea behind this utility-size storage. Correct. So when, how fast? I, I, I mean, you, I was listening to an article this week about Tesla, and they said they can now charge the battery in 15 minutes. That sounds really incredible. I mean, I would. That's, that changes the whole thing, right? Yeah. So where are we? What's your prediction? Well, Niels
1: Bohr said prediction's always difficult, especially when it's about the future. So <laughs> I mean I, I can't tell you when the when the breakthrough is going to come, mm-hmm. but there's no question that the the tipping point is going to be uh, achieved by economics. If I gave you a battery that is uh, going to get the price of the car on the showroom floor down to par, with the same car powered by internal combustion engine, that's when things take off. So it's it's really we're waiting for that breakthrough, and I can't I can't predict it. I mean, people are working, but uh, to go back to your earlier question, you said, well, why, you know, we have all the elements in the periodic table. What's taking you so long? And and the answer is that in spite of all of the advances in uh, computational chemistry, the complexity of a battery is such that uh, it's not a matter of just running a computer program and then out pop the top list of candidates. We have to mix that with experimental evidence as well, and these experiments take time.
2: Right. So I would say go back to your early question about uh, breakthrough. I think it's for lithium-ion batteries in electric vehicles or different degrees of uh, hybridization uh, in a vehicle. Uh, is is happening, and. Uh, uh, various uh, car companies have various, uh, very ambitious plans to to implement uh, lithium-ion batteries in their vehicle uh, technologies. And I think it's just a matter of time to let the lithium-ion battery power the vehicles to penetrate uh, our fleet. Do you but have an electric car? I'm waiting for the electric mini to come out.
1: And you don't? Next year. I don't own a car. <laughs> You're cheap. No, <laughs> it's not cheap. You want me to be behaving in a sustainable manner, I don't, uh, I walk to work.
0: Well, thank you both very much. I really (laughs) enjoyed it. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: That's Donald Sadway. He's a professor at MIT in the Department of Materials Science and Engineering. Sean Horn is co-director of the MIT Energy Initiative Energy Storage Low Carbon Energy Center. You'll find show notes and links for this episode. They're available at energy.mit.edu forward slash podcast. And you can tweet the Energy Initiative at MIT Energy, that's one word, with any questions or comments. I'm Bruce Gellerman from WBUR. Thank you for listening.